Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Father, we ask that you would help us to do what your word says, to be changed by your mercy, to be those who follow Jesus in a way that is devoted and speaking and acting in a way that is merciful to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> you'll see the yellow sheet you've got is blank. I just wrote down a quick note to myself just to sketch this out for you so you've got an idea of where we're going. Um, so a bit of intro, a bit of introduction and context, and then one big idea followed by three reasons that stand uh, James gives to us related to this big idea, and then a closing section on what he calls Christians to do uh, as a result of this. I want to start um, by telling you about a man called Johnny, uh, a man who came along to the church where I grew up, and uh, you could smell him before you saw him. He wore an old boiler suit every day, no matter what the weather was, and he never changed it, never washed it, nor did he ever really wash himself. And he started coming uh, round the church. He didn't have a job as such. He used to push a wheelbarrow. He would say this was his job. He pushed a wheelbarrow round the area and he would pick up discarded ginger bottles, lemonade bottles, Coca-Cola bottles. He would take them to the shop and he would collect some money, 20 pence, for a refund. And that was what he did. And he started to come around the church where I grew up. And uh, when that happened, some of the ladies in the congregation would um, combat his uh, odor or his smell by, by dabbing uh, their hankies in some perfume. And then in the middle of the service or whenever Johnny turned up, they would hold the hankies over their noses as Johnny uh, sat either behind them or along from them. Now, one evening, uh, one of the welcomers decided that when Johnny turned up, it might be better to open the balcony and to take Johnny upstairs to sit in the balcony. The reading that night, James 2, the passage that we've just read. So the minister stands up to preach, and it's an evening service, so nobody's normally in the balcony, and there the first thing he sees was Johnny smiling down from the balcony. Now, to be fair, Johnny probably thought it was a bit like being in the royal box <laughs> and was probably in some ways quite happy up there and probably a little bit oblivious. I tell that uh, true story uh, because of the parallels it has with the supposed scenario that James gives his readers here in these verses. James is now moving to address a specific example of Christians not doing what the word or the law says. The principle that we looked at last week in, uh, in verses 19 to 26, if you were here with us, you, you remember that. 
James is addressing the way Christians are living, living in a way that shows that in this area, a certain area, they are merely listening to the word and so are deceiving themselves and the reality, deceiving themselves and, and deceiving themselves about the reality of their relationship to God. So we get a flavor of this just at verse 27 at the end of chapter 1. He's talking about, he says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it's a religion that is distinctive in its care and love for other people, those perhaps marginalized or vulnerable. And it's also a response and a way of living that is in stark contrast to the world around. James will give us more specifics in a moment. But first of all, um, if that's the word of introduction, then a quick thought about context, I think, helps. Um, just a quick comment on possible circumstances that James may be aware of. It's thought that some in the church have hit hard times, that to survive hard times, possibly those in the, in the farming community, possibly because of a drought, many of the farmers in the Christian community had to mortgage land and therefore ended up putting themselves in debt to the rich, who in turn took them to court when they didn't keep up the payments. So let's uh, look at verses 2 to 4 and 6 to 7 to see what was happening. So verse 2, um, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then verse 6, you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? So James says very directly in verse 1, this is his big idea, don't show favoritism. Stop it. Don't show favoritism. It's the big issue. It's repeated again down in verse 9. I think there's two specific commands that we can just tease out just to go a bit more under the surface here in order to counter favoritism and worldly behavior. So let me read verse four, have a look. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What's going on when you show favoritism? It's a sort of gradual progression. Favoritism doesn't sound that bad. Then through the scenario in verse three, it's showing special attention to some. And verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil hearts? It's quite powerful 
description of what's going on. So here in verse 4, there's a warning to the well-off not to despise the poor. Don't make distinctions based on someone's wealth. Don't judge others according to wealth. A warning to the well-off or a warning to us about how we relate to the poor. But then in verse 5, he says this, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? So here is a challenge to the poor that God calls his people always to trust him, to be rich in faith. So the wealthy, the rich, ought not to be chased after or courted because they are loaded, even though times are hard. And the poor should never be despised. Don't despise the poor, don't suck up to the rich. Now, how does this challenge attitudes today and for us who are Christians? I want to ask, uh, and I'm sure the answer is actually yes before I ask the question, are we in danger of welcoming people to St. John's on the basis of their appearance? Do we sometimes think that some would be more valuable to God than others. Just for a moment to hit the pause button and think about uh, not just here at St. John's, but the other circles we move in, whether it's at work or where we live or the clubs that we're part of, social circles, how easy it is sometimes to find ourselves despising the company of some because they are poor, awkward, unpopular, marginalized, downtrodden. Because that's how the rest of society often responds. So just as we uncover this big idea that James is putting before us, just an opportunity to reflect and just think of those places and see faces, think of names. Where we are vulnerable to judging on the basis of appearance. But then also to think, do we also run the risk at times of valuing more the company of others because they are rich? Or here in Hampstead, because a celebrity might walk in the door. Uh, in the circles we move in, to be drawn towards those who are popular, 
trendy and fun. To buy into the mindset that we might think, wow, if they became a Christian, that would really be brilliant for the gospel. If anybody became a Christian, that would be really great for the gospel. James says, don't show favoritism. This is his big point. He says, it's out of place. It doesn't fit. Um, I don't know um, how many here in the room would remember um, on Sunday afternoons episodes of Columbo. And this American detective dressed a little bit shabby, chubby fingers, cigar in hand. And at the start of every episode, he would usually be considering what a crime scene or surveying some facts. And, and as he went along, you would see him just pausing and asking one more question because something didn't fit. Something was out of place. Well, James is going to give us um, three reasons uh, why favoritism doesn't fit. Let me just run through those very quickly. Favoritism, first of all, doesn't fit with our position as believers. Did you see how James started that in verse 1? My brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Jesus was glorified after he mixed with the poor and the marginalized, those whose society ignored, and after he died a criminal's death. So it would be incredibly inconsistent for a believer in him to start showing favoritism by despising the poor. Favoritism doesn't fit with our position as believers. And then secondly, favoritism doesn't fit with God's choice, the way God works. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. In other words, God saves poor people, but you insult poor people. You saves rich people, but God has often chosen the poor, the weak, and the insignificant to be rich in faith. That's his way. So favoritism doesn't fit with God's choice. And then thirdly, and this is slightly longer because it's going to cover verses 8 to 13, favoritism doesn't fit with the gospel. Again, a bit on the original context I've found helpful here. If James is writing to some Jews who have become Christians, it seems he could be writing to those who are calling themselves Christians but still living with the ambition of keeping the Jewish law. And that is a bit muddled because they're thinking that they had to follow Jesus and keep the Jewish law. So let's read verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So James says here that if you show favoritism, you're guilty of, you're as guilty of breaking the Jewish law as if you had murdered someone or as if you were an adulterer. It's very powerful. There's an application here for anyone looking into the Christian faith. If you think Christianity is about good deeds, about pleasing God by the things we do, by keeping his law, if we see the rules of the Bible as a list of commands to keep, we're missing the point. Because actually, the point of the Old Testament law is to show us our sinfulness and our need of a savior, Jesus. James wants to say to Christians, don't live by the Jewish law, live by the gospel. Let's read verses 12 and 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, in in verse 12, he calls the gospel, or let's put it this way, in verse 12, he refers to the law that gives freedom. He's talking about more than just the Old Testament law. He's talking about the gospel. James wants us to remember that judgment is coming to those who judge, but that to those who are trusting Jesus, there is mercy. So understand that favoritism doesn't fit with the gospel because the gospel talks to us about God's mercy. It tells us how we've been accepted how we're welcomed because of his kindness. So when we confess our sin, we receive mercy from God, a pardon purely because of our trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection. So James expects Christians to be changed by God's mercy. We're called to be merciful because we recognize in the gospel God's mercy to us. So what are we to do? Well, before this section, James says we have to be doers of the word. And here he tells us what to do. In verse 12, speak and act differently from the world around us. Here at St. John's, or wherever we find ourselves, Monday to Saturday. So let's think again about those circles at work or the social settings. And here are some questions for, for us to ponder together. Am I merciful 
to those who offend me. Am I compassionate with the needy, the marginalized, the despised? And am I gentle or hard-nosed to the downtrodden? Do I relate to them like everyone else, or am I marked by God's mercy? Wonderfully, Johnny kept coming to church. God kept drawing him along. And by God's mercy, the church family changed and grew in their love for Johnny. Let's pray that we'd be changed by God's word so we'd repent of favoritism, so we'd speak and act mercifully to all. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the wonderful welcome that sinners are given because of Jesus. We ask, please, that you would help us to grow in our understanding of your mercy and that we would be people marked by mercy in a way that would be evident to others. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.